RPG Fans Retro Encounter, the podcast where we, you know, talk about specific games, specific months, but also just talk about whatever RPG subject we want. I'm Mike Solosi. Yep, this isn't Josh Curry. He's busy this weekend, so I'm recording and hosting this episode this week, and with me are two RPG Fan Luminaries. First, Alana Hagues. Hey guys, Diving Falcons here. <laughs> and second, Robert Fenner. Hi, it's Towns Carmarty on the boards for play in town and car. <laughs> All right, and I'm Monsoon on the boards, and today uh, we decided to talk about the Dreamcast in a special bonus round of Retro Encounter, because a few months ago we had a lot of fun in our Super Nintendo episode, and this is going to be a, you know, a spiritual successor to this, and if and you never know, we might do a different platform-specific episode later. But generally... Um, I think Alana and I have had enough excited exchanges on Twitter about one Dreamcast game in particular that we all sort of wanted to record this episode. So uh, before we get to the game specifically, um, uh, Robert, why don't you go first? Why don't you tell us a little bit about you and the Dreamcast? Sure. Um, I was always a Sega kid, uh, first and foremost. Like, I had a master system. I was, like, the only person in the neighborhood who had a master system. I've never uh, seen and- a master system in the wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I had a Genesis long before I had a Super Nintendo. Um, so, you know, it just kind of stood to reason to get a Dreamcast at the turn of the millennium. Um, I got that shortly after moving to the U.K., um, which was basically about a month after I got it was around the time that they said they were discontinuing the <laughs> console. Um, and the Dreamcast is a weird system. Uh, I like it a lot. It's got a very limited but unique library. Um, you know, one of the things about it is that the Saturn had such a wide variety of original new RPGs and with the exception of Grandia, almost none of those franchises lasted or made it over to the Dreamcast. Like, you know, we never saw a follow-up to Panzer Dragoon Saga or Dragon Force or even Shining Force skipped that generation, um, which I think is a shame. Uh, I, thought there but, were, I thought there were a couple Shining Force games on the Saturn, but we never got them. Uh, well, we, we got Shining Force 3 Part 1. Right, uh, but, but we, Part 2. We didn't. Mm-hmm. No, not part two or three, and we didn't get a Shining Force game on the Dreamcast. Right. Or okay. any of those spinoffs. Aww. So I was, I was, my, my understanding of it was in the right ballpark, but it, I didn't know the yeah. details. All right, so <laughs> continue, man. But we did get some neat, some very, very neat original RPGs, um, including one that uh, I think you're probably going to be talking about <laughs> very soon. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> it's, wonder what that one could be. The Dreamcast has such a limited RPG library, but I think it's a very, very special one. Right on. So, Alana, let's uh, hear you and your personal history with the Dreamcast briefly before we start talking about the game I know you want to talk about. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I mean, quite similar to Robert, really. I, although I was more balanced between Nintendo and uh, Sega, I did have uh, Master System slash Mega Drive, as they're known over here, and bounced up from the Saturn to the Dreamcast because I think the Dreamcast was actually my first for that particular generation. So where was, there was the PlayStation 2, the uh, Xbox, but that was my first one and kind of got it because I was just really a big Sonic fan at the time, but ended up branching off into RPGs through the Dreamcast and the PlayStation 1 at the same time. So 
while there is a very limited library and I know and I've only played the major players, like there's part of me that wants to go back and buy one and just go and re-explore everything, I think, because I really like the Dreamcast and I feel like it did a lot right, but it just didn't have the time and it didn't have the backing kind of a little bit like the Wii U, although the Wii U maybe isn't as good let's say but well that's another discussion to have later on and it doesn't try and do as many things but the dreamcast is quite a unique little system that did some really good stuff and just really like it and really fond of it and kind of miss sega making good consoles and unique stuff really i think that's what the dreamcast is really good at is that it's got a really nice unique little set of games not just rpgs like you've got some really good beat-em-ups and you've got some really good um like platforming games that some of which didn't see the light of day outside of that console generation. And just think the Dreamcast should be spoken about a little bit more. Right on. And, well, I'm, I probably have less Sega nostalgia than either of you. The Dreamcast is the only Sega system I've ever owned. Uh, I was a Nintendo kid for the NES and SNES. Then, because the PlayStation had Final Fantasy and Mega Man, I, play, I, switched, I didn't get an N64 or a Saturn. I had a uh, PlayStation for the latter part of the 90s. And then I ended up buying a Dreamcast. Uh, I don't remember exactly when it was, but it was after I already had a PS2. And I got one at a thrift shop for 20 or $25. And so I used it basically as a machine to play Soul Calibur and Crazy Taxi and a few other games and two RPGs in particular. Actually, well, no, one RPG in, the, in particular because I didn't I didn't put any hard time into Grandia 2 until it's I got its PS2 version, which I know isn't as good. And um, I, I I thought the Dreamcast was a bit of an oddity. It uh, it was sort of a tweener generation console because it came out when the PlayStation was you know still riding pretty high. It, its release date was the same release date as Final Fantasy VIII, if I'm not mistaken. Nine nine ninety nine. Yeah, we could forget. Oh, yeah. yeah, so like, so it came out on the same day as Final Fantasy VIII, and the PlayStation um, was I had games still being released until two, like early two thousand one or so. So the Dreamcast fit in this awkward space between generations. It was the first system of that new generation, but ran on CDs and not DVDs, and um, and it had limited online that. We didn't really, and we didn't really see great online on consoles until the uh, like PS Wii 60 generation. So it 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 had, does a lot of weird things and has a, a very specific, unusual library. But there's a lot of quality in that library, and I still think Soul Calibur One, which is the you know the second Soul game, is the probably the best one in that series. So. I, there, even though the Dreamcast had a brief lifespan and a limited library, there's a lot of affection for it among gamers, including the three of us. And even and it's the only Sega system I've ever owned, but I, I had a lot of fun with it, and it's in the corner of my closet somewhere. But I, I'm not above bringing it out and trying to hook it up to a CRT to, to play Soul Calibur again. So yeah, we love we know that we love the Dreamcast. So. Alana, it's time to wax poetic about Skies of Arcadia. Hey, yeah, they wouldn't let me have a whole episode for it. You so know, I, I just thought about to... just—I thought about just—we thought about just doing that instead of a Dreamcast episode, but there's—we decided to be a little <laughs> bit more diverse. <laughs> just, Unfortunately, yeah. I think the, the most people don't own it, and mm-hmm. that it's pretty expensive. 
Like, yeah. even to, it, well, to buy a Dreamcast isn't too bad with it, but... No, I think me buying Skies of Arcadia, was tw- it was twice as expensive as the Dreamcast I bought to play it on. Oh, and, oh. and, yeah. and, and as a quick warning, we will probably spoil... Skies of Arcadia in the next 15 to 20 minutes heavily, so if you haven't played that <laughs> if, you, if you are worried about that, now's the time to stop listening and skip ahead 15 minutes or so. But, so yeah Skies of Arcadia, Dreamcast Signature RPG, Alana go. Go. Okay so I think anybody who knows me or has seen me on social media or any kind of thing knows that Skies is probably my favorite game ever and I think Skies um Skies of Arcadia was the first RPG I played outside of Pokemon. So it was my first oh, wow. kind of experience. Yeah, so it was the first, other than Final Fantasy IX was probably the first other one that I played. I played them about the same time. But um, there was something quite particular about Skies that I liked, and it was kind of coming out of um, the kind of darker kind of Final Fantasy twist that happened. So I grew up watching my brother play Final Fantasy VII and VIII, and I always thought they were quite dark and kind of like you you can't play these you're not old enough to play these and so skies <laughs> carried this kind of optimism about it and even though some really horrible things happen in it but <laughs> like there are some really oh, i just i struggle to put words together with skies because it's so simple and it's so but it does so many different things so i think the best thing that it does is there well, the two things that it does really well and i think it does exploration really well and it does yes battles really well not just turn-based battles but the ship battles and they're like the two main things that i really take away from it because oh. the story is pretty standard like it's done really well and i'm i've said a couple of times before i'm more than happy with tropes and cliches as long as they're done really well i think skies kind of fits all the gloves perfectly and fits everything and does everything so well but so if i go into exploration so basically for anyone who doesn't know skies of arcadia you are like sky pirates so you sail around the skies hunting for treasure well yeah you do you're, you're, you're sky pirates in airships that are exploring floating continents and floating islands and yeah. uh, sorry to interrupt you alana but i i'd just like to say skies of arcadia has my favorite world map in any video game it is beautiful and colorful and varied and there are so many small things to discover, whether it's other ships flying around, or pirates, that, or like uh, other pirates that you can uh, you can fight, or little landmarks to discover, and then report to the guild yeah. for some cash. There's I love the landmarks. Yeah, there, there's a lot of things. little things to do in this world map, and it's huge and gorgeous. And I never got tired of fl- of flying around in a no. in a sky pirate ship around this beautiful world map. Never. Like, I'll still pick it up, like, now, like, I'm, I've am played it and playing it now, and I still, I remember where some of them are, but it's just so fun to try and find all the discoveries, but there are things going around, so even though there are random encounters on the world map, there are also, like, these giant animals that are flying around mm-hmm. that you can fight, or there's ships you can run into and challenge them and beat them down, it's just so good. That world map is amazing, and I wish there's not many games that have a world map that is mostly sparse. Like there are just islands everywhere, and finding a new island. Like most continents, you get a discovery for for finding them, and it's just like oh, I've just found something. It's just gonna yeah, tell no. everyone about it. It's just so cool. It's like you found an island. It's like I'm gonna tell everyone and make money from it. And yeah, I just yeah, love. Um... 
two of the uh, major story arcs are in the uh, oh shoot it's 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 Exotok is under the green moon and what, what's the country that's under the blue moon in the later Yafutoma part? Yafutoma yeah like when you first visit Exotaka and Yafutoma the game makes a big deal of you discovering new continents and it 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 just adds a little bit of drama and excitement to just starting new chapters of the game basically yeah it, it's it's sort of it's so fun and Alana um, earlier in in our conversation you mentioned how the tone of Skies of Arcadia contrasted a little bit with the tone of the PlayStation Final Fantasy games. And that's a comparison that I uh, I usually make with Dragon Quest. Because if you set aside... If you compare Final Fantasy with Dragon Quest, it's like Final Fantasy are these convoluted sci-fi epics, and Dragon Quest are like these beautiful, colorful little fairy tales. And Skies of Arcadia, is, it's, it's, it's not the same as Dragon Quest exactly, but it has a tone of sort of optimism and fun. Trademark. Trademark Sega optimism. Yeah, this bright world with <laughs> and, characters and, and and color and it's 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 so much it's so much fun just sailing around the around the world and discovering uh, new islands and doing and just just living in the skies of Arcadia world. So so Robert, you've played Skies as well, right? I have. Yeah, I have a great deal of affection for it. It is. <laughs> Arguably the best RPG on the Dreamcast. Um, <laughs> no arguments from me. And I think it's it's a tragedy that it's not on Steam or readily available anywhere else. Well, okay, there there was a GameCube there's the, port. There's the GameCube port, but and um, I hear there's lots of audio errors in that. Yeah, it um, it, it, it and that's also inhibitively expensive. Yes, it's it's really hard to find that port. Um, the audio compressed a little bit, and I think it's because it's on one GameCube mini disc and not two CDs. Oh. It's, it, that's part. Yeah. That's part of it, at least. And uh, funny but story, it, I um I actually saw a copy of the GameCube version in a vape shop in Stratford Shopping Center <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. That's a, that's thought, a fun place to should, find should it. Should I spend Should I spend seventy pounds on this? Yeah, well, and also, <laughs> there's the whole issue of walking into a vape shop. I wasn't in a vape shop. It was in the window. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, well. well that, that's your story, and you're sticking to it, is it? My sick clouds, okay? My clouds of Arcadia. Mm. <laughs> clouds of Arcadia is the name of your rig, isn't it? Yeah. All right. You got me. <laughs> and, and oh, and also, one uh, neat thing about that GameCube version, there were some online connectivity features in Skies of Arcadia, the Dreamcast version, where, uh, oh, shoot, who, who's the chubby little uh, guy that joins your crew? Uh, Pinta, the Pinta. little one with the spinning yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm terrible at remembering all these characters' names. But yeah, Pinta <laughs> gives you little tasks that you can download onto your through your uh, Dreamcast controller and um, and play in the game. The GameCube version adds a couple more side quests, and the Pinta's yeah. quest stuff are rewards in those side quests. And the GameCube version's fine, but it it's it's not really the same as playing it on a Dreamcast. And mm. uh, like, no. and I mean, Robert, you mentioned that it's not on Steam yet. I think that Skies of Arcadia is a perfect candidate for a Steam for a late Steam release, similar to uh, Grandia 2 or Valkyria Chronicles, which are relatively recent Steam releases. It like it Skies of Arcadia checks all the boxes. It's a little hard to find. It has cult popularity. It's a genre that can probably succeed in Steam sales and whatnot. I I'm sure that it's at least being talked about behind the scenes for its potential Steam release. And if it were to release on Steam at, at any time, as long as I'm not in poverty, I am picking it up. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yes, definitely. So, am I what? am I remembering wrong, or does Skies have a VMU game that's like a first-person dungeon crawler? Oh, oh wow! I don't know. Oh my goodness! I actually can't remember. It's been a while. I since need- 
I had some kind of very primitive first-person dungeon crawler on my VMU, and I can't remember if it was from Skies or not. I think it was. You may have. I, I, I don't. I didn't have any VMU stuff for that because I, I, maybe the Dreamcast I bought for twenty dollars years and years ago was not, <laughs> was not the most feature complete Dreamcast. But uh, right. Wow, and I'm not sure. I mean, maybe you, I should have researched this before. Yeah, we probably should have done a little bit of of googling before starting the recording of this episode. But there's so much to do in Skies of Arcadia. You, uh, we mentioned discoveries. There's a, a a few pirate bounties that you can hunt down that are like special boss battles. The the most memorable yeah. of which is are definitely the fake sky pirates. <laughs> Yeah, that's the GameCube version as well. Oh, oh, oh those are only in GameCube? Yeah, the bounty ones. The only ones thought... that are in the Dreamcast version are the um, Balta and Gordo, but you I... don't get money for them. I thought that that a few of the GameCube bounties were in the Dreamcast version, but they just didn't have the bounty menu for them. Because I've, I've played both versions. Ah, possibly Maybe... then. Ah, I, may, I might be wrong, because it's been a long time since I've played it on Dreamcast. Yeah, same. I mean, okay. I don't remember fighting the Imposter Trio on the Dreamcast. Okay, well, the Imposter Trio are, like, the best bounty fight in the GameCube version, at least. Even if, I apologize if I misspoke there before. <laughs> uh, are they but, not on Dreamcast? Because I swear I fought the Imposter Trio, and I've never played yeah, it on I, GameCube. I, I thought they were in the Dreamcast version, and but then they were made into a bounty in the GameCube version, because the, the Dreamcast version doesn't have, like, the... Uh, the bounty menu where you can collect money right. for defeating b- bounties at a in a store, but I thought that a couple of the bounties were in Dreamcast, and they just added a few more for the GameCube version. Like, because that that weird blonde dude in pink is GameCube only. No, it's exclusive to GameCube. Oh really? Oh, oh that's, I guess I'm going crazy. Oh, bum- that's a bummer. Well, it's the it's a great fight in the GameCube version, and it is. Uh, but you know, speaking of characters, the. Uh, the main cast of Skies is really appealing. I mean, Vice with his dope monocle eye patch, and <laughs> and how he's holding oh, yeah. one sword sideways, and just flying through the sky with his two cool girlfriends, and uh, <laughs> and and I mean, and the the other characters that joined uh, too are pretty fun. You have the gruff Drachma, the uh, uh, Gilder, the the bad the guy with the badass coat, and then. And then you know Prince Pretty with his special shield move. That's that's all. That's all he's worth for. No. no really? Come on. <laughs> come on. I mean, right. I I don't. I, I only use the special shield move for the bonus fights. Um. I don't use it for the final. Enrique is Enrique is by far the lamest of those three. Enrique is best girl. <laughs> Enrique is best girl, but in the best possible way, he is. Very. If you put the time into him, he is really good. So, like, his final super move is really, really good. Um, like, I've never taken Gilder into the final boss fight. I've never taken Gilder or Drachma into the final boss fight, actually. I... But I think it's because Enrique feels like the most plot-relevant out of the three characters. So that's probably why I take Gilder... W- not, sorry, Gilder. Why I take Enrique with me. Gilder is probably my favorite, just because he's kind of the badass, like... He's, he's I'm the a most real fun. Pirate. <laughs> yeah, I'm a real pirate. I'm just gonna go around and take treasure and, and, and his his and... first super move that uh is it was it called gunslinger yeah 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 that one is a really good screen clearer and yeah. uh and he's and he's he's maybe has the most roguish personality of anyone in the game even though you know vice has that in spades as well he's just Gilder's just a lot of fun as a character but i use drachma the most in the end of the game because i i, I like his i like his subplot with little jack and the purple colossus um or sorry purple gigas 
Yes. Yeah, Purple Gigas. Oh, God, I'm mixing up all the <laughs> terms. I should have done more research before recording this. And also, I just had him use Spirit Charge every single turn. So just, oh, yeah, yeah. Just, just to let Vice, Ika, and Fina cast more spells and do more super moves. But um, but I'm not going to deny that uh, Gilder's status prevention thing is really good for one of the super bosses in the GameCube version. And Enrique's uh, shield is really useful for certain fights. But I use Drachma the most at the end of the game. Cool. So yeah. maybe we should change gears a little bit so this doesn't become the Skies of Arcadia podcast, even though we all <laughs> love Skies dearly, obviously. Uh now, Robert, you before we started recording, you mentioned to me uh, a couple other Dreamcast RPGs that I, I had not heard of. So let's run through a few of those. A couple of weird outliers. Um, apologies in advance to any fans of Elemental Gimmick Gear or Lack of Love. I've only played a <laughs> tiny bit of those. Um, but... First I've heard of either of those. <laughs> I'd like to talk about, um, in particular, D2, uh, the follow-up to the sort of horror mist-style game by Kenji Ino's Warp. Uh, and shifting gears from the first game, uh, it moves away from the graphic adventure setting, uh, and it, it was, in fact, an action RPG. Uh, mm-hmm. It shares characters with D and Enemy Zero, or rather, it shares digital actors, as uh, Kenji Ino calls his characters, uh, where you play as this lady named Laura, whose plane has crashed in the Canadian wilderness. And um, there's survival aspects, like you have to hunt animals for food and stay warm. Um, but there's also these random encounters with these alien monsters who, uh, their, their comet that struck, they were riding on this comet that struck this plane. So uh, you'll occasionally run into uh, corpses that have been reanimated with these alien parasites that you have to fight um and it kind of like the battles take the form of like kind of like a virtual cop or time crisis kind of deal uh where you're it's in first person and you're aiming at aiming at these aliens that are darting around the screen uh and you get rewarded with experience points and you level up um it's a very weird and not entirely successful mix of survival horror and rpg and survival mechanics but like nobody else had really tried that at the time. I mean, Kenji Ino is nothing if not um, unique in what he sets out to do. And one of the things I really like about this game is there's uh, a boss encounter with an infected airline stewardess who picks you up with tentacles and throws you all around this broken plane and <laughs> says to buckle your seatbelt for turbulence. Amazing. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good moment. That's and amazing. You, uh, now you said action RPG with survivor horror, horror survivor horror, survival horror elements, and yeah. I mean that immediately fired a synapse of my in my brain that that made me think of Parasite Eve a little bit. Would you say it's that it's got yeah. a lot in common with Parasite Eve? Okay. Yeah. I mean it it plays like the the fighting plays completely differently, but right. um, the exploration and sort of trying to solve this mutation mystery happening um well in the wilderness rather than new york city um it's got a very similar bent like you're running around uh abandoned little so, towns so it, it at least it at least shares some surface similarities with it but but it's i mean it's obviously not neither of them is obviously ripping off the other but just you yeah know, you, you they, there's a little bit of overlap in that venn diagram for sure for sure i think that's probably why i like one of the reasons why i like it the thing about Warps games is they weren't always fun to play. 
Um, but I think this is probably Bork, but they're most successful. There's like the most, the most gameplay here, and it's uh, not, it's not hostile to the player in some of the ways their previous games were. Wow, it's great that you can describe some games as being openly hostile to the player. Did either of you ever play Enemy Zero? It was on Saturn and then again on PC. I did not. No, I didn't. Uh, Enemy Zero was this game uh, with... It, it was another one that was a little bit like D uh, in that it borrowed um, graphic adventure elements. So you were wandering around this spaceship um, collecting inventory items and trying to solve a mystery. But in between rooms in the spaceship, there was, uh, there was these corridors that you'd have to walk down and these corridors had uh, invisible monsters in them. And you had this gun that you had to charge up and um, locate the monsters by a beeping radar, which was not omnidirectional. So you had to charge up this gun and hope that you were facing your monster, which you could only fire at at point-blank range. And if you charged it too much, it wouldn't fire. It would overheat. And if you didn't charge it enough, it just wouldn't fire. Um, so that was a nightmare to play. Yeah, it sounds and, like a game yeah, that's a nightmare to play, but some people will probably defend it in spite of its nightmarish <laughs> systems. Saving and, saving and loading took a um, battery uh, on your save <sighs> order, which uh, could not ever be restored. So you had limited saves and limited uh, loads. Wow. Um, good grief. Yeah, interesting ideas, but not a good game. But that's not a Dreamcast game, so I've gone on oh, to that. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, uh, the second game I'd like to talk about is uh, Dispiria, which is a uh, Japan-only uh, a Japan-only title by a little developer that I have a lot of affection for called Deno Aizo, um, who made uh, one of my favorite PlayStation 1 horror games called Hell Knight. Um, Deno Aizo were working with Atlas for a while, and Dispiria is kind of a follow-up to Hell Knight in that it's this cyberpunk horror sort of FMV adventure slash RPG. Um, and it's about... Uh, it's like it's set 20 years after World War III in this like post dystopic Japan, uh, and you play as this lady named Alura who works for the new governing body, which is called Church, and um, <laughs> she's she's an assassin out to um, out to subdue psychic terrorists. So, like you you make your it way. Sounds around. like a really great anime. It's great. <laughs> it does. It does. An assassin out to subdue psychic terrorists. That's that, that, that will get a one episode of Netflix watch from me, for sure. It feels a little clunky. Like, you're, going, you're navigating around, like, these pre-rendered 360-degree environments and then transitioning between them. Uh, and on the way, um, battles are... There, there's these, these battles with other psychics, and it plays a little bit like a Shin Megami Tensei title, but you send out different parts of your brain... Uh, to fight against your opponent's brain, so you've got little like you've got like maybe three weird brain monsters, uh, and so, you and um, do they represent which... like your like your lobe versus your medulla oblongata versus your cortex or something? Essentially, yeah. Uh, and and you know, they they you, would level up, mutate a bit. <laughs> do you, is it um, are, do they have advantages against each other? Like you're playing rock paper scissors or like a fire emblem swords axes lances with different parts of your brain. There, there was a sort of rock paper scissors aspect. Of it. It's been a very long time since I played it, but <laughs> this thing sounds bonkers. It's, it's bizarre, and the game begins with um, a lady snorting a worm. Uh, and it, <laughs> it, 
it's got such a weird and cool atmosphere, and um, I'm sad that it never got a uh, wider or localized release, but um, it's one of those things that you can blunder through, and if you've got rudimentary knowledge of Japanese, you can at least read the menus and configure your brain. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's neat, and it's got that sort of pre-rendered kind of ugly Japanese late PlayStation 1 era style that I find really charming. Um, so, well, okay, uh, or, I mean, yeah, it's not always ugly. The like the best pre-rendered backgrounds in from that late '90s era are often quite gorgeous, and yeah. it's, it, and that's yeah. they're part of why it's a little bit difficult to port those games nowadays because the original code and art from a lot of those pre-rendered um, scenes. I know that's the case at least in Panzer Dragoon Saga and some of the Final Fantasy games from that era. Like the um, though it isn't around anymore. But, or it's super compressed and artifacted. Exactly, yeah. So it's... I have a lot of affection for weird 90s pre-rendered backgrounds, but much less affection for weird 90s uh, polygons. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no polygons in this. It's just all it, it, all pre-rendered characters on backgrounds, and I think it looks really neat. Um, yeah, I was just saying, mm. looking at it beforehand, it does look... It's aged really well. Like It's really nice looking, and I really like the interface on it. So... It's Definitely. cool. Um, yeah. I would highly recommend checking out their previous game, um, Hell Knight, for PS1, which did get an English release um, in the UK. Anyway, it's a similar kind of like a similar kind of world, but it's set in um, it's set in the sewers of Tokyo. Uh, so you're running away from a monster, but you're also interacting with like these um, outcasts of society who have uh, been driven underground, and it's got a very similar um, visual style. But um, I guess the most notable thing about Desperia is that um, most of its key staff went on to uh, develop uh, Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne and the two Digital Devil Saga games. So um, oh, cool. some of those ideas moved on. Yeah, I love Digital Devil Saga 1 and 2. They're, hmm. I, I like those probably better than Nocturne. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm looking at some Desperia art as well. It's Desperia with an I instead of an AI after the P. Because if you look for Desperia, you just get a bunch of uh, stuff like guides about a certain part of Dragon Quest VI. Oh but, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but so yeah, Desperia oh. is a really neat and cool looking Dreamcast game. Just uh, just from looking at this Google image search. But yeah, I had not heard of it prior to you bringing it up, man. This is that's yeah. super neat. It's it's neat. I, I found it in a used game store here in London um, and d- immediately fell in love with it after messing with it for uh, the better part of a month. So it's it's a delight. Well, I don't, I don't know if that's as likely to get a Steam release as it, Skies it of Arcadia is. <laughs> I think Ken Oizo are long closed. No, oh, okay. I mean, if, if most of them have moved on to Atlas, but, you know, Japanese companies, they, they don't... <laughs> they don't like putting things on PC, do they? So. No, no. They, I, I think, I think that a lot of the recent JRPG to PC stuff has been uh, to try and get a chunk of that huge um, North American and European Steam audience. Hmm. But yeah, uh, and and I mean, you think of Japanese PC developers. It's, there's not that many outside of Falcom. Yeah, but, I mean, the rest yeah. is just. Arrow gay people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. And well, we're not going to be talking about those, even if there are some no, Dreamcast. Even if there are Dreamcast arrow gays, I haven't, I haven't done the research, I'm afraid. But uh, let's move on to something else. Um, we've brought yes. it up a couple times in the podcast, but Grandia Two was a Dreamcast game before it had ports to PS2 and PC much later. 
and uh-huh. and I mean I mentioned uh, how I don't have much love for late '90s polygons. If you want to see some polygons in a in an <laughs> RPG, it, they're all over the place in Grandia too. Um, they, it, it, Burrito it, boys. Yeah, it it moved yes. away from Grandia One's uglier scene polygons, but nice looking character sprites to slightly better polygons, except for everything this time. And uh, I, I think the first thing you have to talk about with Grandia Two is that battle system, because it it, it's, it it flows beautifully. It's basically turn based, but you know characters have a speed stat, and it's and their turn speed is visualized on a meter. And you can manipulate your own characters and enemies' positions on that meter with with stuns and delay moves, which sounds maybe hard to understand without a visual. But if you, uh, but once you get the hang of it, it is one of the best um, turn-based f- battle systems of that era for sure. And they refined it further in, Gra- in Grandia Three, but uh, in Grandia Two is where I sort of think of it as being the best version of it. And but um but even outside of that great battle system, it's a pretty solid traditional Japanese RPG. The main characters are pretty fun. Uh, mm. uh, you get some um, <laughs> some really interesting English voice work with uh you know the, the Grandia games had pretty bad dialogue and voice acting, but it is uh uh it is you know the Little Mermaid Jody Benson is one of the, is one of the voice actors of the English version. Cam Along, Clark, is, yep, yeah, and Cam no. Clark, Liquid Snake himself, yep, Liquid Snake, yeah, uh, yeah, Cam Clark, Leonardo, and Liquid Snake, Leonardo the Ninja Turtle, and Liquid Snake is the main character, Riodo, and uh, fe- and female Shepherd plays Elena. So it's oh, like yeah. it's, so you have the she little mer- you have the little mermaid, Femme Shep, and Leonardo the Ninja Turtle as your three main characters, and it's uh, <laughs> which is you know quite a collection, and. It's a, it feels like a little bit of a basic JRPG to me. Like some of, and some of the like big drama moments in the second half of the game just seem a little too out there. I don't I don't I don't think I like Grandia two as much as Grandia one even. But oh. as a as a Dreamcast game with awesome combat and some fun characters, you can do a lot worse. It's a very it's a very very good Japanese RPG. Oh. Yes, I guess for Mark. for pe- people who haven't. Played games these old. I guess one of the closest comparisons to Grandia's battle system might be Trails in the Sky. Uh, a little. There is turn it's, manipulation. It's different, in it. but um, there's turn. Yeah. And it was so Final or, Fantasy X has that. Um, I just remember Child of Light completely yeah. borrowed uh, oh, Grandia's yes. battle system. If you like indie RPGs, the last two Z-Boyd games, or in, including the upcoming one. Uh, Cosmic Star Heroine, but the last couple Z-Board games, uh, Penny Arcade 3 and 4 and Cosmic Star Heroine, all almost wholesale borrow the Grandia battle system. But okay. it's, it, it, it really works. It's, you know, you, you see people moving up the turn meter, which isn't, you know, that meaningfully different from the old ATB system from Final Fantasy games. But, um, but you can, like, shove people up and down the meter to delay their turns, stun them, and uh, if they're preparing for a move, like charging up a spell by, you know, hanging out at the very top part of the meter, or the far right part of the meter, you can knock them all the way back with a stun move. There's a lot... There's... it Manipulating that is... They'll do the same to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It, 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 uh, it, you get used to it pretty quickly, and it's a really fun um, version of a turn-based battle system. That I, I never got tired of. Like that battle system carried me through Grandia Two, even though I thought it dragged a little bit towards the end of the game. But it's it's worth playing. Um, we've had uh, one of our RPG fan staff members streaming it the past few months. I I, I don't think they're finished with it yet, though. Or at the time of this recording. 
They have finished, oh, yeah. Okay, they recently finished. All right, I, it's been a while since I've tuned in, I guess. And uh, <laughs> and it is available on Steam as well as PS2 and Dreamcast. Yeah. We haven't mentioned the really cheesy spell names, because I think oh, they're important. Yeah, they're... <laughs> and the quote lines, like, good grief. Yeah, and, like... and like brackets and stuff in them. It's wow. Yeah, it, 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 it's they made some weird choices in naming things in that game, yeah. but uh, but it a lot of it is pretty cool. It, it manipulate like you, you uh, uh, compared it to the Legend of Heroes games. You manipulate space and cert, uh, with certain spells. Like they have areas of effect that you can mess around with. It, it does a lot of good things in RPG fan, in RPG combat. <laughs> RPG fan combat. <laughs> that that should be a <laughs> podcast, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Grandia 2 is pretty good. Um, I and I only played the beginning of it on Dreamcast and played it on PS2 much later. Mm. But because I mean, because our Grandia 2 being in the Dreamcast disc tray means that I wasn't playing Soul Calibur or Skies of Arcadia, which <laughs> which was always seemed like a better choice to me. <laughs> but it it's pretty good and it's easy to get on Steam nowadays. Yeah, thank goodness for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you can get all the uh, main games except for, it, it, with the exception of the two offshoots, uh, quite readily available now on between Steam and PSN. You don't need to play Grandia Extreme. Just just listen to the. You really bat- don't. No, play the <laughs> listen to the the four battle themes of Grandia Extreme on YouTube for about twenty minutes, and then you've gotten the best parts of Grandia Extreme. Hmm. Okay. I think I think Battle Three is like is pretty freaking dope. But anyway, that's uh, Grandia Two, pretty good Dreamcast game. Uh, do we have anything else we want to talk about before we start? You know, uh, talk about the confusingly named classes of Fantasy Star Online. <laughs> yeah, the really confusing classes. No, I don't think so. So I suppose we just jump into Fantasy Star Online. I sure. Guess. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've got a I've got a Kusoge to talk about, but let's do Fantasy Star Online first. <laughs> Kusoge. <Yeah. laughs> So now I don't have a lot of personal history with Fantasy Star Online. It was more of a um, oversight that I watched my brother play again. But I think it's pretty impossible to not mention it because of how revolutionary it was. And it's kind of, uh, Robert was saying on, I think online a couple of like, days before we recorded this, like, why does Sonic Team not do anything so radical or like exciting anymore? Like Fantasy Star is a really good example of them jumping out of the box a little bit and going, let's make an online RPG on consoles. And that's, basically unheard of in like 99 2000 when it was announced and so and i think what i remember is like with most top-down mmos you had on the pc this one was kind of more over the shoulder so it feels more like a normal something that puts me off online rpgs is the kind of top-down perspective and so this one looks accessible and it plays really well from what i remember so you just go around you can either go around in groups so you can have codes to go into each other's games a little bit like dark souls 3 kind of online like co-op stuff or you can go on your own and people will join you but it's a pretty revolutionary game it's very different from the previous fantasy star games which are just traditional turn-based those i've never played and that's for another time yeah yeah Yeah, i I have had a copy of Fantasy Star 4 staring at me uh, for several years now. I really want to get to that because th- th- that's that's one of Good the game. great sort of lost Genesis games that I, I know I'll like when I f- finally get around to playing it. But yeah, um, Fantasy Star Online is a different beast entirely. It's, um, if not the first, one of the very first sort of online RPG interpretations for a console. And 
being based on this niche popular series that a lot of a lot of people love the old Fantasy Star games, it really sort of spun off into its own monster and had uh, a couple sequels on the GameCube and DS and probably more that I'm just not aware of. Oh, oh, and there was a recent three sixty. Yeah, there was a recent Vita one that there is, yeah, yeah, that people were for a while people were clamoring for an English release of that, but I don't, I don't think it ever happened. There is a fan translation of the PC version. Sure, I'm, I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so it, but yeah, it's no, baffling it, that they're not putting that out officially. That's yeah. ridiculous. But the old, yeah. the whole online phase of the Fantasy Star Star series happened st- or started on the Dreamcast, and it was really popular for a while. Like I know, oh god, I don't remember any of the class names, but the, like it sound when people were di- were tell were discussing strategies on about Fantasy Star Online on on forums, it almost sounded like they were talking in a foreign language. We're talking about the different types of characters they were like. Are either of you familiar with those? Because it always yeah, confused me a little. The, I remember the main names of them, but yeah, like with the list in front yeah, of me. Who cast? So, I think I remember that. Oh God! See, I don't even know that deep. So I know like the general ones. So there's hunters, rangers, and forces, but they're not what they sound like. So forces mm-hmm. are, are magic-based characters, which is like right. no God, like that doesn't sound right. But rangers are weapon-based. It's like, well, that's archery, isn't it? That's just my brain's yeah. just ticking the wrong way <laughs> for Fantasy Star. And then the balance characters are hunters. And it's like, but actually, they sound like the same thing hmm. to me. But then, like you say, was it who? I don't so I don't know how they break down specifically, but I remember that it was quite compli- complex kind of class system. Hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, there were, there were humans and Newmans, uh, oh god! And a couple, and then, and a couple uh, different the species. Cyborgs yeah, had a funny what name. Called? Um, uh, are those are the cyborgs Newmans? I'm not, but I remember like the, the, that when you combine them into like the different character types. Uh, were, or were, the, were those CA casts? Casts? Were those the cyborgs? Mm, no, possibly. but I, but I remember like a human hunter is is a like is a humar or a humoral. And a uh, like a human force is a is a fomar or a fomarl, and people would use these uh, these, <laughs> these portmanteau versions to describe the different classes, and it just completely baffled me when I was you know when I was Fantasy Star <laughs> Online curious and yeah. trying to figure out uh, what was going on, but it a, a lot of people played Fantasy Star Online. It, it like a lot, of, and there's a lot of positive memories that people have for them. The and. Uh, I remember the DS version. I think was Fantasy Star Zero, and yeah, in conjunction with Triace, I think. Yeah, right. So the, there w- and many people spent thousands of hours into those. So I didn't it, dig that. It didn't have the same magic. Yeah, as uh, in pe- Spark. Mo- most of that affection comes from the Dreamcast and GameCube versions of the game. I think those or, huge uh, characters. And yeah, just so nice. <laughs> yeah, but I, I never, I never played them because I have a bit of a uh, a predilection against MMOs in general or online mm. games in general because I, I'm, I'm worried what they could do to my addictive personality as someone. That's well, the night. Sorry, <laughs> it's all right. It's just, I mean, I say that, and I've have thousands of hours into Diablo three, but uh, well, not, I, maybe not thousands. I guess the nice thing about the Dreamcast versions was that you could play them offline. Which was important to me because I had AOL and AOL would not right. allow my Dreamcast to connect. <laughs> so I, I remember having to take my Dreamcast around a friend's house that did not have AOL so we could <laughs> play online with other people. Yeah, those early like DSL and T1 lines. 
b- before oh, every, before most of America and the UA had cable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Fantasy Star Online. Uh, I guess ne- ne- none of the three of us have a, a huge attachment to it, but it's no. it's definitely one of the signature RPGs on the Dreamcast. Mm. It's you know it's like a Diablo style game, which isn't really my kind of thing, but I really love the. I really love the dressing that they put around it with the with the bright sci-fi setting. Um, it's a bit of a departure from the rest of the Fantasy Star series, so it was it was never my favorite. But I I did enjoy my time with it, and um, it would be nice to see more of that in the future. Yeah, it would. It would be if they brought back Fantasy Star. Would you prefer it was an an online style game, or would you prefer it to be like a maybe a, a, a theoretical Fantasy Star Five? be more like the first four games and with a relatively traditional Japanese RPG but with this colorful interesting sci-fi setting. Uh it depends on what they do. I mean, I think if it's like well, yeah, a I guess execution's more important than concept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if if they go for like an I am sets in a kind of thing, I don't think I'd be too interested in that. Well, maybe the best solution is just to go and find a uh, a version of Final Fan uh, sorry, Fantasy Star 4 to play. <laughs> Final Fantasy mm. Star. I'd play that. <laughs> Final Fantasy Star 4 Wow That would that'd be really interesting Anyway So um, now you were talking about some Kusokes earlier uh, Which is you know Translates into something inappropriate uh, Yup So is there some, there's some Japan only terrible Dreamcast RPG That you put too much time into Yeah this wasn't Japan only This got oh. a worldwide release Alright um, I did a lot of people fondly remember uh, Sting's Evolution series, um, a duo of two roguelikes for uh, the Dreamcast, which later got released on GameCube. But I'm not talking about Evolution. I'm talking about um, the poor man's Evolution, which is a little Sega game called Time Stalkers. Um, <laughs> are either of you familiar with the Landstalker series? Yeah, um, Landstalker yeah. and and I think Lady Stalker was the other one. Lady Stalker yeah. and yeah. Um, and Dark Savior, the sort of grittier Saturn entry. Um, each of those was an isometric Zelda-style game, which, you yeah. know, looked, they all looked very good. They played with varying degrees of success and frustration. Um, Time Stalkers was a departure and that it was a very poor roguelike uh, that was meant to bring all of these uh, Landstalker and some Shining in the Darkness characters together uh, in, like, you know, kind of like a crossover RPG like Project X-Zone, but... Climax had so few characters that this really seemed like a bit of a pointless exercise. Um, you play as this guy named Sword. Awesome. <laughs> the sword-wielding Sword, who's been teleported to this island, I think called the Negative Zone or the Void Dimension, uh, which is slowly becoming populated by characters from other, other games in the Landstalker series uh, <laughs> who have just been teleported in. Um, and it's really just an excuse to bring all these characters together, um, and you wander around these very samey, randomly generated dungeons, fighting very poorly programmed turn-based encounters, um, and there's not much story, and for some reason I put maybe 20 hours into it and beat it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But there, one thing that I will say is that it had this kind of, maybe this is why I beat it, it had this weird little risk-reward mechanic called the yogurt trick, where... Whoa, wait, find wait, slow down a yogurt? second. 
Wait, the wait, yogurt what's a, trick. The yogurt trick. Okay, what, I don't know why they just called the game the yogurt trick, because that would have sold a million <laughs> copies. But all right, continue. Please tell us all about the yogurt trick. Uh, yogurt the Hamster was a secret character in Shining Force Yogurt One. the Hamster does wow. the yogurt yeah. trick. Game He's of the Year little, material. He's this little hamster with, like, a mechanical helmet, um, and he was meant to be a debug character, but they liked him so much, they put him in as a secret character. Can you blame them? And yogurt is... <laughs> Yogurt is all over Time Stalkers for some reason. There's <laughs> portraits of him hanging in people's houses. Um, I, th- I think there's an entire yogurt house. Uh, so maybe the, there's maybe yogurt, the whole game is just a dream that yogurt's having. It might, it might as well be. Um, so you, f- you find a yogurt ring in the dungeon, and if you put on the yogurt ring, it transforms you into yogurt, and you walk around, and this silly little music plays, and... Um, Yogurt is a complete weakling, and he is, um, he's forced to level one, and when he levels up, he stays at level one. But the benefit of this is, I mean, you know, you, you can continue to level up and just roll over level one, level one, level one, level one, and the amount of experience required to level up stays the same. Uh, and the amount of levels you've gained as yogurt, when you take off the yogurt ring, oh, okay. level up all at once. So you wow. can just, like... Fight as many things as you think you can manage as yogurt, and then take off the ring, and boom, you're level 50. And I, that is how okay. I beat this terrible game. So, <laughs> so you used a power-leveling yogurt trick. Power of yogurt, Amazing. yeah. You mean you're saying it's a bad game, but I mean, I want to do that yeah. really badly. Yeah. Yogurt is adorable, i got to say. He is the I think yogurt needs his own game. They should just abandon the whole... stock. They should make yogurt stalkers in 2017. Uh-huh. It's just all yes. about yogurt. Beyond the Beyond 2, Yogurt's... Oh, Beyond the... In the Beyond. Is he, is he, he's in Beyond the Beyond? <laughs> no, he's not, but it's the same people. Okay, it's, yeah, it's, that's, a terrible um, P, that's a terrible PS1 RPG. That you know is. what? I'm, I'm mistaken. I'm mixing up Climax and Camelot. Oh, okay, they, never mind. They, they work I, together on Shining Force, I believe. Okay, um, yeah, but, I, I, I yeah. cannot remember who did Beyond the Beyond, but I did not like that game. Um, the same people as... as Golden Sun for some reason. Oh, oh yeah, 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 oh, Camel- wow. yeah, Camelot did Golden Sun, right? They yeah, did. and the Cam- and Golden Sun is pretty good. Golden Sun is pretty good, but mm-hmm. Beyond the Beyond is just terrible. For yeah, no, that's no awful. <laughs> they love. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's me and Time Stalkers. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> but Wasn't but like yogurt's pretty. Do- yogurt sounds pretty dope. He is dope. Maybe yeah. we should bring him back for I don't know. Somehow foist him into Smash Five Fracas or whatever they decide to call it. Or if they put out, like, another one of those Sonic Racing games. <laughs> oh, like yeah, oh, sh- Those Sonic Racing games are all pretty... I played the Steam version of the latest one, and I was shocked at how much I liked it. It was uh, really yeah. solid. Yeah. Yogurt would be a perfect candidate for wacky racing game. Vice from yeah. Skies of Arcadia is in the last one. Oh, it sweet. Yeah. I literally bought it just for um, Rogue's <laughs> Landing. That's, right. that's the extent of the obsession with this game. Rogue's Landing is incredible. It, it, it looks great, and it, it gets pretty hard because to pass some of the later challenges, you need to be really good at drifting. But those, um, but but those Sega racing games are actually quite excellent, sort of arcadey style racing games. And um, let's see, Vice, Fina, and Ika also show up in uh, in, in Valkyria Chronicles. They do. Um, they do. Which is which I think shares some staff with the the whole, you know, Sega Grand RPG tradition. So there's somebody from yeah. from Fantasy yeah. Star so- I'm sorry, from Panzer Dragoon Saga and Skies of Arcadia snuck into the Valkyria Chronicles team. But yeah. uh and, and Vice is, and Vice and Ica are both above average stormtrooper and scout re- uh respon- I... uh, respectively. 
Yeah, I found Vice was the best Stormtrooper, I think, because he has an ability which literally, if you throw him into a crowd, his stats will, like, yeah. double, I think, and it's just like, okay. I think I think maybe Rosie's a little better than him, but she's a story character that has slightly overpowered abilities. But hmm. um, but no, Vice and Ica are both really good in, in uh, and totally viable characters in uh, Valkyria Chronicles, which is... Oh, yeah, they're boss. Yeah, yeah. and and Owen oh, Fina is is the medic but uh if you read the manual it's actually it's actually trip identical triplets only one of them yeah. is named Fina, <laughs> which is a, an odd justification to, to choose <laughs> but uh yeah, yeah all, all three of them are looking good on the ps3 and and uh recent steam oh, yeah so let's see dreamcast rpgs dreamcast wander around a city games <laughs> dreamcast recent kickstarter games I, I guess we have to talk about Shenmue, don't we? Yes, we do. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I only Shenmue... played. I only played the very beginning of Shenmue One, and I, I, my brain was not wired to enjoy s- s- like slow-moving open worlds the way it is now. Like I, I could, I probably would enjoy Shenmue now more now that I'm 30 instead of when I tried to play it when I was 17. Unbridled so, hubris. Yeah, exactly. So, but um, I so I didn't have a ton of put a ton of time into Shenmue and I'm not uh and I didn't really follow the development of Shenmue 3 but uh did either of you I'm, I'm assuming yes both of you having played more Dreamcast than I have <laughs> I played it briefly again like Fantasy Star it was kind of something I've watched rather than played but we kind of when I played it I just goofed around like I didn't really I get the kind of complicated kind of like it's kind of meant to be not real life but a little bit more interactive like, looking at it now, the kind of mouth movements and graphical, like, what was praised at the time are so awkward now. And mm. it's kind of like watching a really awkward dub. Um, but when we just kind of goofed around in it, really. So, like, the two things I really remember is there was, you could put, like, money into little pop cap machines and get little toys out of it. And we would do that every day, all the time. <laughs> it wouldn't matter how much money, how much yen we had, we would do that. I, I, guess, the they other... were, I guess they were ga- gashapon machines, except they probably, yeah. called, they probably yeah. called them pop cap for Something the translation. Like that. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Um, and then there was some bizarre, specific side quest or quest where you had to go into a warehouse and do something with forklift trucks and we would just spend hours and hours racing each other in forklift trucks me and my brother or some like any of the npcs and yeah i just i mean i remember shenmue fondly but those are the only two things i remember doing in it apart from all the awkward conversations you would have with people i mean it was pretty like revolutionary for the time and i suppose when you think about it the kind of evolution that we've gone to is well stuff like heavy rain and that are quite similar but oh. not yeah i mean yeah take a pick like what you want from heavy rain because yeah but um there's less movement in heavy rain as well like you can control the main character of shenmue who i can't remember his name um, rio Hazuki. yep that's it rio um whereas there were lots of quick time events and then a lot of nowadays, Ryus and Ryu and Rios in in Japanese fiction in general. <laughs> yeah, there is. Um, but I think I think Shenmue three is a, this is a good time for Shenmue three to come along, definitely. Yeah. Where we've had all the improvements to that particular genre, so it would be nice to see what they do with it. And, and and not only just the how the genre has grown. I think that Shenmue one and two had a lot of really neat ideas that were ahead of their time, but the the technology wasn't quite there yet 
because yeah. uh, when I think of the the earliest open world games I really liked, I think mostly of uh, the PlayStation 2 Grand Theft Auto games and uh, maybe Jack 2 for the PlayStation 2, where just they, they moved yeah. faster than Shenmue did and were a little more goal-oriented than Shenmue did. And now, I mean, now you have... You know, Ubisoft with their open world action games practically, which are practically just, you know, notebooks full of meters that you fill up. But, um, yeah. It, but, like, everything seems so slow and clunky in Shenmue 1 and 2 because they had these open world ideas of, uh, uh, what's like, of like quotidian games where everyday activities are a part of gameplay that, yeah. uh, that, <laughs> you know, it, is seems like something that you would almost expect out of a, out of a similar genre game nowadays, but just seems baffling when you played it in, you know, in '99 or 2000. And yeah. if, you, if you want to play a fun version of Shenmue, I mean, play one of the Yakuza games. Right. That's basically, <laughs> yeah, I think, that's basically yeah. what that series became. That, yeah, actually, yeah, that, that that's a better comparison than the two that I made. But I've never played a Yakuza game. Ooh, and, I, and, I recommend it, and it's um, uh, Yakuza Five is going to be free on PS Plus next month. Ooh, really? Oh, well, wow! Yeah. Well, next month we're recording this in uh, in okay in, in August two thousand sixteen. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We this this I'm not sure exactly how the episode shakes out, but the, uh, how the list shakes up. This this will probably be uh, published in late August or early September. But uh, I'm, but then you missed it. Yeah, <laughs> all rats. Oh. But yeah, anyway, Shenmue does. Shen, I, I've called it Shenmue incorrectly, apparently, for many years now. Uh, but Shenmue is interesting in what it tried to do um, before the explosion of open world action games. And it's interesting to talk about, but I just. I never liked trying to play it. And I don't know if it would be very easy to go back to if I tried playing it in 2016 either. So I'm, no. I'm, really, I'm really leery no, about they... it. <laughs> Yeah, they hadn't aged well, I would say. They're sure. definitely products of their time, and like quite a lot with the Dreamcast, probably a little bit early for their time as well. So like with a little bit more refinement, they could have been really good, and just kind of a sad story of the Dreamcast, yeah, really. It was, it, was too, it was gone too soon, and I, I wonder if it was... Because the, the timing of it was um, seemed good, but it also it was competing with a lot of high-profile PlayStation and P- and PS2 stuff early on. But it, I mean, it was still using CDs as media. It didn't get enough of a of an early foothold to you know to make it meaning a, a meaningfully better choice than the uh, than the systems that came a few years after it. And even though it had this really yeah. cool, unusual library, and still the best version of Marvel vs. Capcom 2, I will say, until forever, yes. uh, it it really sort of went out with a whimper, and I was able to find a copy in a, in a thrift store for, in probably, I think it was 2003 is when I got it, for $20, which is mm. not a whole lot. So it's, it's a bit of a, you know, a hipstery system that it was, you know, cool before other, others were cool. But I, I don't know. It, uh, it, uh, I, Everybody I who's owned one fondly remembers it. Yes, de- yeah. that is definitely true. Mm-hmm. It, even I, I don't love the Dreamcast controller. Even yeah, it gave it gave me oh, blisters. No. no, it gave me blisters on my thumbs uh, doing um, doing fighting game motions on it because I played a uh, I played a, a lot of Soul Calibur and a lot of Marvel vs. Capcom one and two on it. And uh, yeah, I got I got thumb blisters from that really from that very sharp D pad and uh, and not great and sort of badly 
Oh, okay, the, the, the buttons aren't bad. The face buttons aren't bad, but they're a little they're a little hard compared to the softer buttons on the PS2. Yeah, and uh, they and are. yeah, I, so small I small and hard. Yeah, I like got little aspirins. Yeah, exactly. I got blisters on both. <laughs> it's, it's like you know, it's like playing fighting games on that with for too long is like the equivalent of stepping on Legos barefoot. It, I got these. I got <laughs> tiny cuts and blisters on my thumbs uh, playing fighting games in the Dreamcast, but. It, it, you're absolutely right. Everyone that had a Dreamcast fondly remembers it, and even though it didn't have a ton of RPGs, it certainly had some memorable ones. Uh, it's Alana said that uh, Skies is her number one RPG of all time. It's definitely in my top ten. And uh, yeah, if Skies of Arcadia alone, I think justifies uh, the Dreamcast being a conversation piece. Definitely. Definitely. Whew. So, let's see, do we have anything else we want to talk about in our second console-specific episode of Retro Encounter? Mm-hmm. Have we done it? Have, have we, done, we it? done it, folks? Have we? Have we talked <laughs> about every single Dreamcast RPG? All the ones? <laughs> maybe maybe we should have done a little bit more research on Fantasy Star before starting this. <laughs> or at least, at least I should have. I blame myself. Uh, don't say that. Okay, all right. Well, we'll anyway... We'll, we'll edit that part out. <laughs> okay, well, I probably won't We're edit this part out. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm not professional, and then this part is probably staying in, but we'll see. Anyway, thank you, <laughs> listeners, for listening to us discuss the Dreamcast with so much fondness over the past hour or so. Uh, if you want to find us, we're on iTunes, and uh, you can find the Retro Encounter RSS feed on the main page. We put out episodes every Wednesday, and uh, around half of our episodes are sort of games of the month that we discuss uh, that we discuss in, in over two two-part episodes. And, every, and then we have bonus rounds like this one where we discuss whatever we want. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at the Real Monsoon and uh, Robert. I'm at Miss Anthro Bob. And I'm Alana. always looking oh. to talk to people. <laughs> All right. And Alana. See, I'm talking over people. Oh man! Yay! <laughs> Third time, Alana. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's my name, so at Alana Hakes. But yeah, just like, talk to me about skies, and I'm happy. But anything else is good. And please send her inspirational quotes as spoken by Vice. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Because I always need motivation, and Vice is pretty good for that. So, mm. you know. One of the most positive RPG heroes ever ever conceived. And you can email us at retro at RPGfan.com. Please send us emails. If you, if you do, we'll bring them up on there for sure, because we uh, read everything that's directed at us. And also discuss... Uh, the bonus round episodes or the main episodes of Retro Encounter on RPGFan.com's forums. It's a uh, it's in the game journals section of the forum, and I think that's all I have to bring up. Um, right now, the RPG Fan Retro Encounter crew is playing Valkyria Chronicles, a game that we mentioned a couple times in this podcast. And next month, I'm not sure if we voted it yet, but ne- but September is going to be Visual Novels Month for RPG fans. So I don't know. Mm. We were we were talking about playing Danganronpa or Steins Gate. Or nine yeah, or nine nine nine. They're the top ones, I think. Right, yeah, uh, the, the poll me, hasn't finished hear... yet. Sorry, you'll see me on there. So whatever oh, cool. we're playing, I'll be there. Alright, so yeah, listen to, uh, for a visual novel in September. And that's about it. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you're feeling really frisky, leave us an iTunes review. <laughs> yeah. A good one. A good one. <laughs> Any iTunes review, really. We're desperate. Oh, not really. <laughs> <laughs>